following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome back to, I believe, episode seven of the Underdog NBA show. And Zan, I don't want to time travel too much and confuse you, but I do want to be the first to wish you a happy Thanksgiving because people will hear this on Thursday. So I want to jump forward and, and wish you a happy Thanksgiving uh, out there in LA. How are you today? Thank you very much. It's a great day. Thanksgiving podcast. We could call it the Thanksgiving day theme. Gives me an excuse. Maybe I could eat a little bit more today too. bulk up. Well, let's talk about some of the things we're thankful for. And as a Washington Wizards fan, I'm thankful that the rest of the country is finally getting to see the dysfunction going on in Washington. And I think we're going to be pretty East heavy today because it feels like the drama is really in the East right now. But the Wizards are taking the country by storm, Zan. They've got practices where players are yelling at coaches, coaches are yelling at players. Markeith Morris, hilarious quote last night about how the locker room needs to be sacred and, and nothing's effing changing while there's moles in there. And it's, I mean, it is absolutely, for lack of a better word, it is a shit show in D.C. W- what are your thoughts on the Washington? Well, that's great for, for us talking about the NBA every week, but also fans because, you know, as much as we love to watch good basketball and a beautiful game, people love a train wreck, right? People love the soap opera. And so far, it seems like every week there has been some sort of implosion that the media just keeps adding, you know, gasoline to the fire and making it bigger and bigger. And, and it's it's fascinating to watch, especially for a team like Washington, who's been sort of, you know, stuck in that 7-8 range. And now you're in the top of the headlines for, for bad reasons. Yeah, I, I would say that it's a train wreck for a lot of other people. Uh, you know, typically they say you can't look away from a train wreck. I, I have had no problem looking away from the Wizards this year. I, I think I talked about this really early on that I was pretty upset about some of the things that had happened in the last few years. And I had been a wall supporter, as you know, and it's it's getting harder and harder to do that. But they won last night. Uh, they, they went down 20 for the second consecutive game, but they beat the Clippers who were playing Against the Clippers, against a good Clippers team. So, I mean, it's no joke. And, and they kind of rally, use that as a rallying cry. So, you know, we, we turned this around, hopefully. But I would say, you know, Wednesday, I, you know, something's going to shake up soon. If Whether it's a coaching change or whether it's a, you know, trade, I, they need to turn it on quickly. Don't you think they're 6 and 11 right yeah, now? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. I, I think this is just par for the course for them. Um, I, I feel like, so two years ago when they actually were very, very good, I think they ended up winning 48 or 49 games, but they started the season. Uh, there's that YouTube clip going around of J- wall being like, Hey, I think we took until game 28. till we got 16 and 16 to go to 500. And although that math doesn't make sense, that is actually true. It took them, I believe till uh, into the thirties to eventually get to 500 two years ago. And that team took Boston to game seven of the, uh, Eastern semis and had a chance really to get to the Eastern Conference finals. 
I don't envision that happening with this team. I think when John Wall tries, he is an absolute joy to watch. Brad Beal, I think, is really good. But it, it just seems, Zan, like this is a little bit too far gone. And whether a Wall's, whether Wall is the problem. Well, yeah, that's the question. Well, it's like, what is the bar? Because like, I'm not one of those like blow it up people. Like a title or bust. And if you can't, you're not winning the title, then you need to trade every piece on the roster. It's like, to me, it's like saying, like, if I'm not going to marry Jennifer Lawrence, I don't want to go on a date. You know, it's like, there's, there's still goals in life. There's still fun experiences to be had. And for me, like being an NBA franchise that makes the playoffs and can win a round one series, that's worthwhile. That's worth pursuing and keeping it together. The question is, can this team credibly do that? Can they credibly make the playoffs or even contend in a round I mean, one I series? You asked me this last week if I thought they would still make the playoffs. And to be totally honest with you, I am probably more negative about the Wizards just because I've become very cynical over my last 20 years of existence watching this team. I don't, I don't think they can win a first round playoff series. I'll tell you that right now. That, that might be too high. Yeah, could they get in as the eighth seed? I, I don't know, maybe. And I, but they're not even in a situation where they can tank, okay? Because they, they, can't, they can't get rid of 25. They can't get rid of the whole team, and all of a sudden it's the starting lineups like Kelly Oubre, Thomas Sadoransky, Austin Rivers, Jeff Green, and Dwight Howard. And that team might actually be more successful than the team we have right now. But it, there's never going to be an iteration of the Wizards where you don't see two of the three of Wall, Beal, and Porter. Like two of the three guys are going to be on the team no matter what they do. So they're not in a situation where they can tank. Now, we've seen some things. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I'm a little more optimistic on the Wizards than you are. You've kind of become that jaded um, anti-Wizards person. Uh, just, to, just to clarify, they're right. Where, where is their, hold on, Zan, where is their reason for optimism? I want to hear this from, a, from an outside observer. Okay. The outside observer, there are five teams in the East that I think you can lock in like Toronto, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, and Indiana. Like those teams will make the playoffs, right? And then there's three spots up for grabs and the contenders right now, Orlando's nine and nine. I don't think that'll last Charlotte's eight and eight. They probably will last Detroit eight and six, a little higher actually. And I think they're legit. So Charlotte and Detroit, I think are in, um, but then after that, there's one spot left Orlando. I don't see them lasting Miami you know, quietly is six and 11 as yeah, well. They're not very good. So I, I think there's, there's definitely a lane there. I would bet on Washington right now to make the eight seed. But again, it's a matter of, is that worthwhile? If making the eight seed and losing four one, um, that's probably their most likely fate. And if that's the case, what do you do? So let's say you are the negative person who thinks that there's no chance. What's the next shoe to drop? How can you physically fix this team without, tanking completely which you said you can't do okay so there's two things at play here one ernie grunfeld is the is one of the worst gms of the last 15 years like there's there's four gms that have had their job for 15 years there are rc buford danny ainge pat riley all title winners and, and ernie grunfeld who's not even won 50 games in his time as the wizards gm so one of the things that i have taken a huge issue with over the last couple of days is if, in fact, you do want to trade John, Brad, or Otto Porter, whatever you think is the best decision, why is Ernie Grunfeld the guy that gets to make that choice? He's trying to save his job. But, like, if you're looking at the long-term future of the franchise, and we talked about this a little bit off the air, like, why does Ernie get to be the one to decide, like, all right, Beal's the most, the, the best asset we have because he's 25, he's very good, 
He has almost no bad, he has no negatives around him really. And his contract is relatively team friendly. And that's the guy that Ernie's going to trade. That's the guy that they should want to keep. But if it's Ernie Grunfeld and he's like, I need to keep my job. He's like, well, Brad Beal's really the only one of these guys that I can easily move. So you're going to let a limited GM make the easiest move, which ultimately could screw you later on down the road. And here's the other thing, like tanking or trading for picks other than drafting John number one overall, drafting Brad third overall, which they lucked into. And then Otto Porter, I think they also drafted third. It might've been fourth, but he didn't even really play his first season with a hip injury. The rest of their team, like Kelly Oubre, okay player. They drafted him in the teens. And then, like, if you look at all of Ernie Grunfeld's other picks, like, they're garbage. Like, his picks. And, and the signings, too. Like, when you're a team that doesn't have a top three player, top five player, you need to basically be flawless as a GM. You can't get Jan Mimi. Right. So, and that was the whole thing with, like, the cap. And they were feeling like, all right, if we don't bid on people, we're going to get screwed over. But, like. He's he's done an okay job in the sense that like he's traded first round picks for Gortat, which ended up being fine. He traded a first round pick for Markeith Morris, which was very good. But like he traded a first round pick for uh, Bogdanovich. But he's always using first round picks and and things like that to to cover up the mistakes that he's made in the past. Like in that Bogdanovich deal, like he trades Andrew Nicholson's contract and a first round pick, which turned into Jared Allen, who might be pretty good for a half a season of Bogdanovich because like, he was like, Oh shit, we need to get better because I signed fucking Andrew Nicholson. And it's like, you look at this guy and (laughs) well, I agree. I I just, I I just don't think he can be the one making the decision. So I think Ted Leonsis, who I've told you before, I don't know if I've said it on the air. I don't think Ted really cares about the wizards. He bought the wizards because he wanted the Verizon center, which is now uh, capital one arena. And the caps won the Stanley cup and Ted Leonsis is happy. But like, there's a real thing about the Wizards franchise moving forward. And are they going to be actually contenders or are they going to be bad? And I don't know if Ted is like, all right, do I need to replace Scott Brooks? Do I need to replace Ernie? Like Ernie gets secret extensions that people don't know about. So like the future of the Wizards is so cloudy. And that's why I don't know what they're going to do, Zan. I really don't. And, and I don't have a problem saying I'm angry because I've been angry about this for 10 years. Ever since Abe Poland passed away... When he extended Gilbert Arenas, he had to do it at the time. It was it was the most important thing. Like, D.C. people cared about basketball because of Gilbert. But that set the team back. And now we're in a situation, again, where we're looking very hard at being set back also because of Wall's extension. You can't let Ernie be the guy to dig you out of that hole because he's the one that put you in the hole in the first place. No, I agree. I think it's not even a debate. I think Ernie Gunfeld's time is over. I, you know, had a run, decent run, you know, whatever. They stayed kind of afloat, at least. Um you know, and Correct. They, they won 44 to like 48 games. Yeah. yeah. But I think the next question, the next shoe to drop is like Scott Brooks, you know, apparently, you know, he's clashing with John Wall, struggling to contain him. This is his third year now. The first year they won 49, then last year 43 with some injuries. And this year they'd probably be lucky to win 43. Um, does he survive the season? Oh, man, I don't know. I, I think that Scott Brooks is a good person. I think he's a great player development guy. Guys absolutely see large improvements in their games under him. He is horrendous in game coach. It's just the bottom line. Like, I mean, yesterday he started a, a roster, a lineup that it, it, I mean, he started Wall, Beal, uh, Ubre, Porter, and Thomas Bryant. Like, I guess he thought that Kelly Ubre cursing him out in the game, like, warranted the starting spot. They were down 20 early in the game. Like, it's pretty clear that Wall is not really responding to him. And, and again, I don't know who Wall can respond to, but I would imagine that Scott Brooks gets fired. 
I mean, his contract is massive. I think they would owe him somewhere in the neighborhood of like 21 million or something if they fire him after this year. Maybe it's 14 million. I think he had five years, seven million a year or something or something like that. Uh, so I don't know if they'll fire him from a financial standpoint, but I don't know that Scott Brooks is the guy to, to no, to I, I don't think over. he is either. And I, I like him. And if you were defending the wizards, like I did, and maybe they can make the playoffs, they're shooting kind of poorly right now as a team that'll probably regress positively, but their defense is just getting worse and worse. They're not playing well. And that's not going to get better. I mean, like the sort of rhythm and defensive intensity and, and sets, like it's just not really clicking. It's just, I don't know how that lets a switch. So before we move on to more happy teams in the East, let's let's talk about the Wizards in this light, Zan. And you're more of an analytic mind as well. But so Brad Beal, right? That's been the guy that we've seen rumored to be traded. In your mind, like what is a good return? And, and this is why I don't want to. I don't want to shout from the rooftops that like you can't trade Brad Beal because he's the best asset you have at the moment. And like getting a, a player back to play with Wall, if the locker room already is is soured on Wall, and that's what we saw in the Washington Post today. Jerry Brewer wrote an article that like people think Wall has been coddled, he's been given into. And again, I, I talked about this with somebody else. Like they traded Gortat because Wall didn't want Gortat on the team anymore. But it's very possible the rest of the locker room really wanted Gortat. But Wall's the star player. He's the guy with the Supermax extension. So that's that's the, the life in the NBA. You know that. So my question is, in what is a, a good return for Brad Beal? And what do the Wizards need to look to put around a guy like John Wall if the locker room is already split? Well, you said you're not going to be the guy shouting from the rooftops, don't trade Bradley Beal just because he's the best asset. But I, I'll be that guy. I mean, I don't see <laughs> the point. He's 25. He's a good player, all-star caliber player. Like if you're trading him for immediate help, that's not going to happen. You're not going to find a better current player than Bradley Beal, especially because you don't have much leverage right now. And people know you're sort of this wounded gazelle. And if you're getting younger, it doesn't make a lot of sense either because Wall is older and is possibly going to slow down and have a huge contract on the book. So I don't see the point of matching John Wall with a bunch of young talent either. Um I think you build around Beal. To me, like Beal is the guy that I want to build around. And to me, it's more about should we trade John Wall? Can we trade John Wall? Um, I think that those are two maybe different questions or different answers. And I don't know. I honestly don't know. But the, the trade kicker piece on Wall's deal and, and how much money he's owed that hasn't even kicked in yet is a huge piece of this. And it's like, does Wall... Is a change of scenery going to make John care again? Is his injury, excuse me, is his injury lingering? I mean, he's the fourth, I guess, sports view technology. If you guys don't know, they track player speed and movement and stuff. Wall is the fourth slowest player in the league in games, which is insane because when he has the ball in his hands, he's one of the fastest top end speed guys, but he doesn't move when he doesn't have the ball. And this is Zach Lowe pointed this out. Mike Prada for SB Nation, who's covered the Wizards for a long time. I think he started Bullets Forever. He also has covered this. Wall, and I talked about this, I think Wall just looks like a guy who feels like he's made it. And I wonder if all this drama is going to make Wall play with that chip on his shoulder again. Because last night in the third and fourth quarters, like, John Wall gave a shit. And it was fun to watch. The guy that cares is fun. No, he's definitely a a great player. He could still be a great player now. But I think in a way the NBA is going to realize, like, this sort of super max system kind of biting them in the ass. Because... You're paying guys like John Wall, who are stars, $40 million a year long term. And how many players are really worth $40 million a year when they're 31 or 32? It's like LeBron, and that's pretty much it. I mean, the one thing I will say with the Wall extension is 
because of his injury last year. So in, in 16-17, third-team All-NBA, I thought he was absolutely one of the 12 best players in the NBA that year. I mean, I, I thought there was an argument for second-team All-NBA. He was fantastic defensively. I've talked about this before. Like, he was definitely, in my mind that year, better than Damian Lillard. He was better than Kyrie Irving. And, like, those guys have gotten better in the years since then, whereas Wall has regressed. And, and like I said, I, I think some of it's effort. Some of it is the injury, for sure. He worked hard this summer to get himself bigger and back into shape so he would finish better at the rim. But like, if you're just going to be a giant jerk to everyone, it doesn't really matter how good you are unless you're LeBron. And John is not going to be LeBron. He's not taking a leap into the top six players in the NBA. Like he's not James Harden. It's 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 just not who he is. And I think one of the issues is Wall's personality for sure. And, and we heard about this a lot with Beal and Wall not getting along. And I always said maybe they're just different people. but if it's really created that big of a divide, I think you can't look at, we talked about this off the air, but they're looking at Beal as a little bit like, all right, we need some salary flexibility. So like, will we take a bad contract, a young player and a pick for Brad Beal? And like, you can't do that. You cannot do that. You have to make the best deal for your team and using like choosing 25 year olds to be salary relief guys. That's insanity. You can't trade Brad Beal to a team and watch him thrive because like, oh man, I think we're stuck with Wall. I think we're stuck with Porter. Like, that's why you need a forward-thinking GM, and that's why I think like the Wizards shouldn't make any major deals this year. And then they should let go. Of, they should fire Ernie and maybe fire Scott Brooks and be like, we're going to yeah start. take a year to. I think that would be the biggest the biggest problem. Like the Charlotte deals we talked about, like Nick Batum, Marvin Williams, and a pick for Brad Beal. You're getting zero good rotation players back on a on an okay team because like Marvin Williams, I think is a good rotation player, but he's also 35 or 32. And then you're getting a mid first round pick, which they they've sold those off or blown them over and over and over again. How does that help you? I think the the real the realistic and prudent plan for the Wizards, if I'm the GM, if they fire Ernie and I take over with you as my assistant GM, screaming in my ear, you know, you're you're too fired up, so I'd have to be the face man. You know, you could be the behind the scenes guy throwing phones at the wall um i would float idea you know john wall trades and see because on the plus side he's still a big name and as we mentioned before players really respect john wall and think he's great so you'd almost need like a desperate player to push for a john wall trade and that could be lebron it could be anthony davis if he's like look i'm only staying in Orleans if if john wall comes over then you could maybe get some some actual assets for him if not i think it's realistic you play the season out you try to get that eighth seed. You try to make a, try to be competitive in the first round, and then make your move in the off season. And then maybe your assets, if you want to make some tweaks, um, Jan Mahinmi will be an expiring contract next year at sixteen million. The visibility. Uh, Kelly Oubre is going to be a restricted free agent, I think, next year. So you can kind of maybe trade him, package him, try to figure that out, or you can go nuclear and trade one of your stars. But I think moving now from a place of desperation is probably not going to be the answer. That's always the biggest issue. It's like when teams know like, all right, they're trying to get rid of somebody, then you can lowball everybody. Like, don't be afraid to up the ante for Brad Beal and be like, if you want this guy who's averaging 22, four and four, who last year was an all-star for the first time, I think he averaged 23 points a game. He's a career 39% three-point shooter, good defender, friendly contract. Like, don't be afraid to ask for something very good. Like, like, here's the thing, Zan, let's, let's, let's throw this out here. Like, can you not call the Celtics and say, like, hey, we want – I mean, they wouldn't trade Jalen Brown – or, I'm sorry, they wouldn't trade Jason Tatum. But, like, can you not call the Celtics and say, like, 
will buy low on Jalen Brown and somebody else in a pick for Brad Beal. Is that too much to ask? I don't think that's too much to ask. And it, and it, I would do that if I'm the Celtics because, you know, they're looking for a little offense. And Jalen Brown is is a great prospect, but they're they're meant to win now. And as we said, Bradley Beal's 25, so you're not mortgaging the future by any means. That can, keeps your window where you want it to be. No, I, I don't all. think – I just don't know. Jalen Brown hasn't. I think he would look better with the change of scenery, but I just don't think Jalen Brown is good enough player to to pair with John Wall to make any real. Correct. Difference. I actually don't think that's enough either. I'm just saying, like, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind calling the Celtics and being like, "Hey, what's the deal with Gordon Hayward or somebody else?" And they would obviously do it for Hayward, but like, just trying to be drastically different. But let's we'll, we'll talk about Boston in a second. Let's talk about the team that we think is going to win the Southeast Division, or at least I think they are. And that's the I even know. I couldn't even tell you what the Southeast division is, by the way. I don't pay any attention. Divisions are a crock, but Charlotte, uh, currently eight and eight. I believe that means they are, they are technically ahead of the magic who are nine and nine, but those two teams are ahead of the Southeast division. We're not going to talk about the magic on this show. Not yet. At least Charlotte plays two games last, last week, uh, two awesome games. They play the Sixers in what was probably the game of the year. Kemba goes for 60 plus. And then they and they lose in overtime on a Jimmy Butler buzzer beater, and then which is funny. And then they go to Boston. I believe they played Boston, and they beat Boston. And Kemba has forty, scored one hundred and three points in the two games. Let's talk about Charlotte and let's talk about Kemba Walker because they are aggressively trying to make their team a little bit better around Kemba right now. I think realizing like, hey, the new coaching staff, couple of the new players, like we've got some life for once, and we don't want to miss out on this. But Zan, they are only eight and eight right now. It's not like this Charlotte team is world beaters. So, what do you no. think about Charlotte and Kemba Walker? Well, I'm glad we we're finally talking about Kemba. You know, he's a guy who has been so overlooked for years now, right? I mean, he—I would say he until this year, probably the most underrated star player in the NBA. And it's—I think it's amazing. I mean, I remember Kemba Walker. You know, at UConn, he was a junior when he came out and and he won the title on some, you know, clutch shots at the end. But he just projected to me as like, this is a classic high volume, low efficiency player that I personally would not draft. And he looked like that coming into the league, you know, shooting 36% as a rookie. And even more amazingly, by year four, so four years of an NBA development after three years in college was shooting 38.5% from field, 30% from three in year four. And to see this guy continue to get better and better and better as a shooter, and now I think he's the leading scorer in the NBA right now and shooting really well and really efficiently. I mean, I you've got to give I this believe guy. It's Kemba, it's Kemba, then Steph, then LeBron at the moment are the top three, I believe. It kind of reminds me of like Kyle Lowry, like as a guy who kind of, you know, was a, trying to figure it out and suddenly did actually improve as a shooter into like at age 30. And... I, I really give this guy so much credit. I, I I was always a doubter on him in some way. I thought he was putting up stats on a, on a mediocre team, but he he is like maybe like a poor man's Damian Lillard right now. Would you say that, or do you think he's on that level? Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I mean, he's been really good. Their game against the Sixers was amazing. Like he could. I mean, he banked in a three to take the lead. Like it was pretty wild. I think Jay Hernandez is one of the better player development guys in the NBA, and him coming to Charlotte has been very good. Obviously, James Borrego and their offense being faster paced a little bit more wide open has been very good for Kemba I would like to see more than 16 games of Kemba shooting 39% from three before I really buy into his improvement as a shooter I think Zan I don't know if you have this in front of you or not 
but I do think he was like a 32 or 33% shooter from three for his career up until this point. And I don't know, like I haven't seen anything. I don't have that stat, but I believe it. I mean, it's not, especially when he's shooting 30% for a long time. So, so to me, I haven't necessarily, you know, I'm no shot doctor by any means, never was that. So I haven't seen anything that I think uh, mechanically has been drastically different in Kemba's shot. I do think he's had some more open looks. I think he's got some more freedom. I think he's a tremendously streaky guy playing with an unbelievable amount of confidence right now. I think that Charlotte is at least a player away from really being a team that can be, because I do think the top four in the East are very good, potentially the five. I think Indiana is pretty good, but I think Milwaukee, Toronto, it's hard to include Boston because they're just not playing well, but I would imagine they'll be there at the end. But I don't think Charlotte is in a situation where they're going to beat any of those teams in the first round. So I think that they're going to, they need to aggressively be better because I don't, like they truly do have a guy who's playing other than maybe like Embiid's playing better and Giannis is playing better. Is anybody else in the East playing better than Kemba Walker right now? I don't think so. And, and I'll give Kemba a little credit. I just looked it up. He actually has been a better shooter than you're giving credit for. He struggled early, as I mentioned. These are his three-point percentages year by year. 30, 32, 33, 30, and then something clicked. 37, 40, 38, and 39 this year. So there has been like a first half of his career. And his effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage are continuing to climb. I do think there's a little regression coming this year. But in general, the trend line is going up. But I mean, he, he's shooting ten, he's shooting ten and a half threes a game. I, I would imagine his shot distribution is is incredibly different this year, and that matters. Like we we've seen that with guys before. All of a sudden, they start taking different shots. Chris Middleton, for example, this year, and you're a totally different player. I mean, what did how what's the Kemba's career high in three point attempts before this year, Zan? Yeah, it, this is certainly ten is well above his high, um, but last year it was seven point five, seven point six, and I wonder if. Um, you know, giving up the ghost on Michael Kidd Gilchrist, you know, as a 30 plus minute guy helps because he was such a non-spacer. Maybe that hurt Kemba and like put so much attention on him. I mean, they were playing five a little bit, though. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, like he's had so they've had some. But yeah. they were before putting him like as a small forward and that really is not a good plan before. He hasn't started yet this year. No, that, how many? I mean, I'd be I'd be curious to see what Michael Kidd Gilchrist's positional breakdown is this year, just because. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And he's also he's shooting. Uh, you know, he's making zero point two a game from three this year after not taking a three last year, not making a three last year. So good for Kidd Gilchrist. Uh, they do have a plus four point six point differential, and it, they're a team that's interesting. And like they they are aggressively, we've seen they're aggressively trying to get Brad Beal, but. What do you think about Charlotte moving forward? Do you think that like? This guy that we see Kemba as, and, and I think you said this was year eight. Does that make sense, man? I, he was in, he left the year I left. Yeah, so, I mean, or do you try to maybe say like, all right, if we can't put somebody around Kemba, do we trade a guy averaging 30 points a game and try to build for the future? Like what, I mean, Charlotte's in a really interesting spot because it's it's ultimately. Well, everyone was calling for that, right? I mean, they were the break it up team before the season, especially with a new coach coming in and just one good player, people thought, on the roster. Clearly, you needed to trade him and tank. I would keep going. I, I don't think they're a market that can look a gift horse playoff appearance in the mouth, you know? I would make a push for Bradley Beal if you can get him. I think they were probably in on Jimmy Butler. I think a lot of people just assume, like, hey, you should tank, and they don't understand, like, how hard that is on staffs and front offices. 
And I also agree with you, like winning in the NBA is very hard. So if you can get the sixth seed and you just give yourself a shot, like that's not a failure. The, the, your, this championship or bust mentality is insane. And I, like I said, Charlotte, they do have an interesting roster. I think, like you said, people thought they had one good player on their team. I, I do think, you know, obviously Tony Parker this year is fine. Nick Batum has not played well, but he's good. Jeremy Lamb is a good NBA player. Marvin Williams is a good NBA rotational player. Like Cody Zeller is not bad, but they just didn't have enough. You know, they don't have enough firepower at the end of the day, probably. So it's like, you know, what can you trade? And that's that's what we talked about. Like Malik Monk, not really that appealing of an asset at this moment. He, he He's not playing for them. So like, why do I want your trash? Like Dwayne Bacon, I think has been okay. Uh, Miles Bridges, I really like, but like, do you want to trade that guy if you think he's a star? Like, it's hard to give up on Miles Bridges right away. And that's where it's like, all right, if you are going to stand pat, is someone going to take your poo poo platter of, you know, former lottery picks who aren't that good for their star player? And now the Wizards might be stupid enough to do that, just not to bash the Wizards. No, you need a stupid team. But yeah. Like, but you know what? I, you, made, you made me think of a new concept. I'm going to coin a term right here, okay? Let's do it. On the fly. Um, tanking, I agree. People treat it, fans treat it like some sort of foolproof plan. It's not. You end up stuck in a rut, you know, especially with the flattened lottery odds. It's a very, it's a low percentage bet. It can work, but it's, it's really putting your franchise and your fan base through a lot for not a guaranteed uh, success. But what about instead of tanking, you call it floating, which is the idea of what kind of Charlotte's doing, kind of floating on the fringes of the playoffs and then trying to package these decent assets together for one more star. And I would point to Houston prior to James Harden, a floater team, like, you know, sticking around 500 and having enough decent assets to acquire James Harden. Or I think the Clippers have that potential right now, you know, floating around, still being competitive, have impeeling assets to potentially acquire a that's, star. That's exactly right. And that was always my argument about with the 76ers when they originally said like, hey, we're not trying to win, right? And this is a good transition because we do want to talk about the Sixers. And obviously, Jimmy Butler getting traded was sort of the end of the process. Like we tanked and tanked and tanked to try to get three top 20 players. We believe we have that now. We're going all in. But I always said that there was a world where you didn't win a title. Whereas when Dar- what Daryl Morey did with you know his Kyle Lowry's, Goran Dragic, guys like that, like you had a bunch of assets and you were ready to make a move when the right time came to ultimately get there and you don't have to tank. So Charlotte, I think, is in a, a little bit of a worse situation in terms of floating because I don't think they have as much appealing, they don't have enough appealing assets to help contenders right now and they don't have enough bad contracts. I mean, they have Boyimbo, who doesn't play, but I think it's still a year until he's an expiring to really do that. Whereas like Boston three years ago had a bunch of stuff that people could actually get behind and be like, all right, we'll do this. We got enough picks. Like, so Charlotte's a little bit further away because don't you remember at one point, Zane, like Daryl Morey had like four or five, like mid first round picks in a two year span that were like easy to package with a player for something better if you needed it. Right. And, and the Celtics always did that. They kind of stockpiled these pretty good assets and they never really did it via trade and they ended up signing guys. But I guess Kyrie Irving. Um, that's about, I mean, that's about it, honestly. But so let's talk about the Sixers and let's talk about the end of the process. Uh, obviously, this game against Charlotte, Jimmy Butler, huge block on Kemba in overtime and then hits a really tough three just to step back to his right to win the game. I mean, 76ers fans, Zan, they're winning the NBA title this year. They are. The process is over. Sam Hinkie's banner is up. 
I mean, what is there to say? Well, you're, you're kind of like bearing the lead because the, the thing that people want to talk about, they want to watch the train wreck. They want to <laughs> talk soap opera. And there there is a number one pick that is missing in action. <laughs> um, Mark, Mark Helfoltz is his lawyer slash agent is saying he's out. He's going to go visit a shoulder specialist, um, which I don't know what that means. I don't know if he's going rogue. I, I don't know if we're going to see him again. Um, did, if for a Sixers fan point of view, is that okay? Is that maybe like you write him off and enjoy the team you have, and or do you are you th- worried about it? I didn't he see a shoulder specialist last year when they told him he had some sort of like instability in his right shoulder, and there's this mysterious injury. Like this Marco Fold situation is is weirder than I've ever seen. Like <laughs> it was well, just all the different stories and conspiracy theories and. Brian Calangelo, remember the whole burner account thing was dealt with this too? Last week with Drew Hanlon, like, I just don't, I don't understand what the hell is going on. I don't know who's managing the situation from the Sixers side. I don't know who's managing it from Markel Fultz's side. Like, but this is not going, there's no situation where this ends well, where he's not going to ever play for the Sixers successfully, right? Like, you think he's never going to play again? I I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you, it's like, well, you, you're saying, do I think he's done with the 76ers? Like, have we seen Mark Fultz? Well, no, I was thinking more from a fan's point of view. Do you think, look, if Mark Fultz comes back through the door, great. It's a cherry on top. But we're not. We're kind of, it's a write-off. We're not even thinking about him anymore. And, you know, he's just like a boom. Yeah, I think that for sure. But here's what I don't understand. And this is what this is the thing with good and bad organizations. And, well... People are ready to crown Sam Hinkie because the process has ultimately already been deemed a success, and, and we'll get to that in a second. Like, but why, how, and why this situation has become so public, I will never understand. If Fultz is just struggling a little bit, and like you can tell he doesn't want to shoot, like you can package him, you can trade him, and people don't know it. But now, like he's going to see non-team doctors. Like Raymond Brothers is referring to himself as his attorney instead of his agent, which means like we're going to get involved in some legal shit soon. Like I don't understand yeah. what the Sixers are doing behind closed doors. I don't even want to blame Markel Fultz. Like from a, not even like a playing standpoint, like you need to keep your house a little bit in order. Cause now you know, we talked about this with the Jimmy Butler thing. Like, could you trade Markel Fultz for another shooter? Who the hell is taking Markel Fultz right now? What are you trading? Like when well, also we mentioned, his contract is not small because he is a number one pick. He gets eight million this year, nine million next year. He's got an option player, a team option for twelve million the following year. And at this point, you could you could stomach it if you're the Sixers. They're not really that's going to be declined. Issues that, that, that is going to be declined. <laughs> They're not. Paying. I want to interview Brian Colangelo. Where's he been? And like, I want to know what he thought about the whole process and getting fired. Or interview Sam Hinkie or somebody just kind of get behind the scenes. Did I ever tell you the story of when I was accused of being Brian Colangelo? You were accused of being Brian Colangelo. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> Literally. Just on Reddit. So I post on Reddit a lot and because I'm a nerd. And um, it was right around the time that like the Brian Colangelo lurker accounts and all this on Twitter and, and such. And somebody saw that you, on Twitter, you can, um, one of the reasons they found his wife was that it was the same. If you try to recover your password, it shows you like the last four digits of your cell phone or something like that, or the number. And my number matched the Colangelo accounts. It was like, oh, nine, one or whatever the last four digits were on my Zan Ellis, Zan underscore Ellis at Twitter or whatever. 
and people and somebody posted on Reddit saying, "I think Brian, I think Xander Gellison is secretly Brian Colangelo and blah blah blah." blah and they, for this reason, this reason, this reason. Um, so I took that as a source of pride. Um, I'm not Brian Colangelo, as you can hear now, but maybe I should have kept that going. I just don't. I just don't even know. Like I think Elton Brand is not a bad GM. I think he's pretty smart. I think he's been around the block. He knows what's going on. But like. This situation has just gotten so out of control now because Markel Fultz has zero value. I want to know, like, why is this happening now? Is it like Jimmy Butler's here and then all of a sudden Fultz's agents are like, you know what, this has a situation, this potentially could be even more explosive. You know, I asked you last week at the end of our show. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a personality thing. I, I think it's more like they probably told him, look, Jimmy Butler's here. We don't need you anymore. Not then there's so many words, but you're going to come off the bench and play 15 minutes a night. And maybe he, he got freaked out by that. Why can't he do that though? Like, it's not like Mark Hill. Cause he's a star. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Like if Mark Fultz is out here thinking he should start based on what we've seen, like, and again, there are things that Fultz does that are like pretty good, right? He, he's, I think he's averaging like five and five or something. Like he, he can get to the rim. He's still pretty athletic. Like he's been fine, like, okay. Defensively, but like, what is going on in the NBA right now, Zan, where guys are just like, I'm not playing. Like like Jimmy Butler, I'm not playing. I play on my own time. Like Marco Fultz, like I'm going to see a shoulder specialist. I'm not playing until I see that guy. J.R. Smith is, is not with the team anymore. He's training on his own because he doesn't want to be there. Like what the hell is going on in the NBA, Zan, where guys are just like, yeah, you know what? I'm done. It's player empowerment run amok. And like you don't want to be that guy, like the corporate overlord guy. But I do hate the analogy like, you know, these guys are like slaves or something. Like they, they signed contracts. They're getting paid millions of dollars a year. You should honor your contract if you're able to. And so the idea that Markel Fultz can just skip town and potentially see a shoulder specialist or a therapist or whatever, his own guy, like, not the getting, team is guy. Is he getting paid? Is J.R. Smith getting paid? Like, are, I think he must. They have to be, right? The t- I, I think they I think they could fight it, but then I think these teams are scared about like the backlash of potential players and, and not being like a f- player friendly organization. Um, but I don't know. I think it's I think it's the commissioner should do something about figuring this shit out. Well, like the J.R. Smith situation, and I, we didn't even have this in our notes, but like we talked about his contract and how it makes no sense for the Cavs to buy him out until after the season when they can trade him and a team can buy him out for three million rather than his full deal. So, like, if the Cavs buy out J.R. Smith, they're just – Kobe Altman, you're an idiot. I, I refuse to – I didn't take the bid on your slaves comment, Zan, because I won't say anything incendiary politically because I'm a soft guy. But I will call Kobe Altman an idiot if he buys out J.R. Smith. If you're trying to build the best team, you can't buy that guy out. So just pay him the $16 million, have him leave and train with his Chris Brickley every single day, and just be done with it. Because he's not playing for you anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But, like, you can't give in to a guy like that. With Marco Fultz, I wonder if the Sixers are like, hey, man – we don't know what to do, so if you have a better idea, just go ahead and do it. We don't want to play you anyway. Like, maybe that's what... Right. Maybe it, maybe it's good that they don't feel the need to play him 20, 25 minutes a night. The Butler thing kind of takes the the heat off them a little bit. They have a new thing, new third star. Um, So maybe it's good. I, I don't like the... I never liked the idea of him going to the G League. I thought that would have been too embarrassing. Um, and I agree. I, I would love to see him in a new situation like a Phoenix or something where he could go and, and build his confidence back. Um, I just don't think it makes sense from the Sixers point of view to, to sell on 10 cents on a dollar. I think that I, I had a buddy in on we this is a shameless plug for Create Your Shot. We had Dr. Doug Polster on who's a uh, sports psychologist at UCLA and has his own company called Polster Performance. And he came on with us last year in the middle of the year when this Markel Fultz thing popped up the first time. 
And we talked a little bit about, you know, what you would do with a guy like that. And we te- I texted with him a little bit yesterday. And he just said, like, I don't even know if a change of scenery is what would work right away. Like, he's got the yips so bad that, I mean, you got to really figure out what's going on before you even try to say, like, hey, you should even really play basketball again. Because the hardest part is, like, you got to keep playing, but you got to somehow try to work through it. So it's not even just as simple as, like, hey, let's get you away from Philly. Let's get you away from your people. Like, let's ship you off to Utah where it's a bunch of Mormons, everything's pure, nobody gets mad at you, and then you'll be a good shooter. Like he said, he didn't even think like a change Mormons of scenery was the number I've one thing them. that he would do. So that's the thing with Fultz. I don't know what the hell's going to happen. And and now you're seeing him on like SportsCenter showing him like lowest points per game for first round picks. And it's like him and Kwame Brown and Anthony Bennett and LaRue Martin. Like we got busts coming on the screen with this guy now. Like it sucks. Well, and that's also, we talk about the media locking into narratives like Kobe's clutch. And so even if he misses, you know, 20 game winners in a row, he's still clutch. And I want, that sinks in with people too, I think. You know, like if you're a little kid and you get told that, whatever, you're bad in math when you're five and you might think that about yourself, right? You're like, oh, I hate going to math class. They told me I'm bad in math. And I, I'm, it's hard to turn that around. And so um, I worry about that for Fultz if he is struggling with his confidence how he can re-energize himself. I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know he can. And then getting to our guy, Jimmy Butler, and you take so much joy in calling me a Jimmy Butler hater, which is definitely true. It was just the icing on the cake that he had a great defensive stop against Charlotte and then made a tough three to, to win the game. When well, I, I said was that. I, I never thought, I didn't think Jimmy Butler would be that great right away, but that, that defensive play, the block and saving the ball, tipping it to his own guy. That was the one of the best plays I've seen this season. I honestly, I, yeah, I was amazed absolutely. by that. I mean, so they're two and one, right? Two and one with Jimmy Butler. They lose to Orlando, give up a, a twenty to two run or twenty to one run in the fourth quarter. They lose to Orlando, but wins over Charlotte, and then they had another home win that I can't think of at the top of my head. I believe they also played tonight. So, your thoughts on on the Sixers with Jimmy Butler and without Markel Fultz? Since we just talked about Fultz for ten minutes, I think it's, like, good, it's good almost in a way. Like I think Fultz was potentially holding them back this year. Um, last time when the Jimmy Butler trade got announced, we kind of agreed that it it ups their ceiling, but maybe still in that two three range. You know, Eastern Conference Finals. I I could talk myself into them making a potential finals run. Um, Toronto is certainly the favorite, but you don't know if Kawhi Leonard is going to be hundred percent by the time the playoffs are here. And Boston's looking vulnerable, right? I mean, in a series right now, I think it's a toss-up. Um, Indiana doesn't scare me. So I, I think they're they're more of a contender to make the finals than I thought based on the early returns. What about you? Yeah, I feel pretty bad about – I have a, a good amount of money uh, if gambling were legal on the Sixers winning less than 54 games. And I am a little bit more worried now than I was. Now, they, they are really struggling on the road. So that is helpful because you do play 41 games on the road. So I don't think they're going to, you know, go 35 and 6 on the road. But I'm a little worried. They are – they look pretty good. And Jimmy Butler is – you know, it's very possible that now this fault situation, if, if he doesn't play for them again this year and they do figure out a shooter in the buyout market or something like that, they get Kyle Korver or something like that, I don't know. TJ McConnell plays a little bit more minutes now because they are pretty good with TJ. Like they're they're pretty good. Uh, let's talk about Boston for a second before we go to the West really quick. Boston nine and eight, uh, really, really, really struggling offensively. You said it yourself. Like, would the Sixers be favored against a Boston team that has largely had their number? We penciled in Boston 
probably to win. I, I think we both liked Toronto, but I don't think anyone was thinking that Boston was winning less than like even like 55 games. And now it looks like it's going to be a little bit of a struggle to get to 50 to 52 wins for this team. Like your your thoughts on Boston right now? We, we did our wins draft the first episode. And I think Boston was the number one pick in the East. If we would have done it by full NBA, they would have been a consideration for the first pick overall, just based on their depth and their ability to thrive in, in the regular season. It hasn't been the case. Um, I think the struggle is real, right? I think this is more real than not. Um, you worry about their offense. The starting five has been atrocious together offensively. So bad. Just so bad. And, and we were talking too, like not to be sacrilegious here, but you know, Brad Stevens, because he's a young modern coach, he has this reputation for being like prior to this year, an offensive guru, almost like a Sean McVay with the Rams. But it's, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if his offensive, you know, been like league average or they've been league average or below offensively in his time there. I think other than the Isaiah Thomas year, now his ATOs and, and his like slobs and blobs and stuff are awesome. But I don't know that Brad Stevens is an offensive savant. I think he's, really good at pushing the right buttons. I think he gets lineups that, that work out. There, there's two problems that I see, right? One, Gordon Hayward. And whether he's going to play himself back into shape or whatever, we it remains to be seen. He's coming off a really bad injury. One of the hardest things to do when you're injured, you can be as in good a running shape as you want, but simulating game speed at the highest level is damn near impossible. So we may not see the right, the real Gordon Hayward or who Gordon Hayward's going to be until game 45 or 50 of this year. And I, I truly mean that. It, it takes forever for guys to get back into it. But last year, this they were a plucky bunch. They guarded. like It looked like they really wanted to play together. And then you reintegrate Kyrie Irving, who is, Zan, fantastic. I mean, the stuff that he does in the fourth quarter as a scorer, it is ridiculous. Like you said, the degree of difficulty is so high. But is this Boston team a little bit better as a team, if they maybe don't have a highly ball dominant scorer like Kyrie, like does does Kyrie, as good as he is, and I'm not I'm not saying he's not a good player, but is the fit with Kyrie and the rest of the roster maybe keeping them from reaching their ceiling? And I say that knowing he totally bailed them out. And I mean, it was against Toronto. That game was awesome, and he was fantastic in the fourth. He's great, and he's so impressive. And I liken him. I told you to Russell Wilson on the Seahawks. I don't know if people watch football who listen to this podcast, but it came to my mind because there was a Seahawks Packers game and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are similar in the way that they play the position. They're just miracle workers and they get the ball and they avoid a rush and they hold the ball for 20 seconds and they guy in their face and they fling it 40 yards down the field to a wide, you know, guy in triple coverage. And it's awesome. But at the same time, it shouldn't be that hard all the time, right? You want to be Tom Brady taking the little five-yard pass, the little wide-open eight-yard pass. And my fear with you know Kyrie and just these Celtics in general, they don't get enough easy ones. You know, from the first day we watched the Sixers game on opening night, I'm like, I was concerned about their lack of free throws. And as amazing as it is to see Kyrie Irving, you know, dribble around four guys and hit a you know twenty-foot step back with a guy in his face, it doesn't have to be that hard all the time. And I don't know where this team's getting their easy points from. And it should be Jason Tatum, but he's become like a mid-range guy, or maybe that's all what he always was. But I don't know. They need something to avoid being reliant on Kyrie, and Kyrie needs to maybe get to the line more to avoid being reliant on the, on the magic plays. Yeah. I mean, I think they, they are bound to regress to the mean 
shooting the basketball. I mean, Jalen Brown, Tatum, Rozier, Hayward, those guys are shooting just av- – they, this team is one of – I think I even saw an open threes. They're the worst in the league, and they should not be. Like, whether you think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are, are good or better three-point shooters or even just league average three-point shooters, which they may be. I, I argued about this with Tatum earlier as well. I've talked about this before. But, like, they're going to shoot the ball better. I mean, they have to, right, Zan? I think you did the numbers on the Celtics. Like, they're offensive. Like, why don't you read the numbers you have on those guys' three-point percentages? Well, yeah, especially, you know, the guys who are notably struggling are just really struggling. Jalen Brown, 27% from three. Gordon Hayward, 28%. Both those guys are below 39% from the field. And they just don't look right, right? Um, and and uh, you wonder, Kyrie is not the, you know, set up his teammates kind of guy first. You know, he's a scorer first. I, I've always been intrigued with the idea of bringing him off the bench as like a super Lou Williams and maybe playing Marcus Smart as the starter, the nominal starter, and still playing Kyrie 30, 35 minutes a night, I don't think that's going to happen. And, you know, there's an ego thing there. So realistically, who do you do you shake up this lineup? If you're the coach, how do you unglue this starting lineup that's not working? Do you bring Jalen off the bench? Do you bring Gordon Hayward off the bench? Or do you just keep going and hope the chemistry and health comes back to form? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think that it's very hard. I don't buy into the situation like, oh, we have too many good players because you just want talent and you try to figure it out. That's why you pay Brad Stevens. That's why you have Danny Ainge. I don't know. They can't bring Kyrie off the bench just given who he is. Like he's not, you know, his dad has gotten involved with the media before. Like his camp is going to get involved. They know they have to try to keep him on the team. He says he wants to be there. But if you bring that guy off the bench, like, that ain't happening. Now, could you bring Gordon Hayward off the bench and have him be a secondary creator? Yeah, I think that makes sense, but he's just been so bad. So Right. You- I just don't know if he can do it. You know, can he even be a good sixth man right now? Bringing Jason Tatum off the bench and running your offense slower with Tatum in the game and being okay maybe with some of those mid-range jumpers. That's what I think. But again, do you want your number three pick future of the franchise as your sixth man. And and this is all part of the things that like, this is why you pay Brad Stevens. Like I said, this is why everyone wants him to be coach of the year because you take guys like this and you figure out like, damn, how can our team be the best? Like we know Horford's going to start. We know Kyrie Irving's going to start. Those two things are a hundred percent, but like maybe you bring Jason Tatum off the bench and play and start Marcus Morris. And then you have Tatum be your creator with that unit. I would, I would maybe not even go that far. I would, I think Jalen to me, I, I agree. Gordon Hayward off the bench. He, he, right now his passing looks okay. Um, he, you know, his like mind is there, but it's just body's not willing. So I just don't think he's going to be effective as like the go-to guy off the bench. Um, Jalen Brown, maybe, you know, that's why I think like there is like, give him some room to spread his legs and maybe he can, it starts clicking for him. I think if you bring Jalen and, you know, Terry Rozier off the bench, that's enough firepower, I think, for a second unit. And maybe it like sparks him in some way. Um, but I agree. I think there needs to be something changed with this team right now. So I would probably move Jalen to the bench and, and start Morris. And then you treat Garden Hayward almost like, like the Warriors treat Andre Iguodala on offense, where he's like sort of a ball mover. He'll shoot an open three, but he's not shouldering a lot of responsibility. That's, inter- that's interesting. I, see, the only reason I don't necessarily want to move Jalen is because I don't know that he's good enough offensively. People tend to think that he, like, you know, this whole, like, oh, man, he can be Kyrie Irving. Or, sorry, he can be <laughs> Kyrie Irving. Oh, man, he can be Kawhi Leonard. Like, 
I mean, the jump that Kawhi took from being like an open three-point shooter and a D-man to like who he is now, I mean, Jalen has never shown that, uh, has never shown that to be the case. Well, he's such an interesting player to me because whenever you hear people talk about him, they rave about his IQ and how smart he is off the court. I I remember him in college. I remember betting against Cal in the tournament when he was the star because I thought he was he didn't reflect that on the court. He was kind of out of control. He was kind of a turnover machine in college at a horrible March Madness round one loss. Um, so I, I don't think there's a, you know, it doesn't translate one to one. If you're a smart guy, it doesn't necessarily mean you have great basketball skills or instincts. And so I don't know what's missing with him right now. Have you seen anything that is he in his head or is he out of control or is it just his shooting needs to, a little more work? What's off with him? I don't know. I, like I said, I think the game speed aspect of it is, is part of it, but I, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know what's going on in Boston and why they're so bad off, offensively. I really don't. Like, I haven't watched enough of them to be like, this is other than just the shooting, but like, they need to do something different. And it doesn't look like they want to do that. And I don't know why we haven't seen Stevens, whether nine and eight, tinker with lineups to see, like, all right, we need to get this guy more space. This guy needs more touches. Like, why aren't we seeing that, do you think? Well, and, and we're talking about floaters. And in a way, Boston might just be like a high class floating team, right? They're like 50, maybe 48, 45 to 50 win range. As presently constructed, I don't think they're a threat, credible threat to win the title, maybe to, to make to the finals. Um, yeah, I agree so, with that. They're not. So, they're not. So do they need to, to shake it up and, and, you know, push for, obviously, Anthony Davis would be the dream, but somebody else to really push them? Or do they, do they kind of take a step back and look like Kyrie Irving's a free agent? Maybe he leaves and then maybe we need to push our window back a few years and realize that, you know, it's going to happen. I don't know what to do. I, I want to step in for one second on, I, I don't mean as presently constructed, they cannot win the title. I mean, in their current iteration of their team, they can't like, I, I think their players are probably going to be good enough if that makes sense. But what they're doing right now, this team that we're seeing cannot win the title and, and likely won't make it out of the East. Now, can they figure it out? Can they, like you said, can they trade, can they make a deal? And, and like, again, this whole Anthony Davis thing, the Pelicans should be somewhat interested in seeing what the market for Anthony Davis is. I saw somebody on Twitter, I think Nate Jones, uh, Jones on NBA is the podcast is the uh, Twitter handle proposed Ben Simmons. Like they, that they should, the Sixers should call the Pelicans and be like, would you do Ben Simmons for, Anthony Davis, because, you know, you get Simmons, who is likely under team control for five more years, given the restricted free agent rules and stuff like that, and see if they would do it because they're like, hey, we don't want to lose Anthony Davis for nothing. So if you're Boston, what what's stopping you from saying, you know what, Jason Tatum, great player, probably a really good in the future. Would you take Jason Tatum and X for Anthony Davis? And they should do that. And because, like, again, all the New Orleans could just say no. And again, I think New Orleans is, is pretty good. I, I like them, but like, it's got to be in Dell Demps' mind. Like, oh man, like we could lose Anthony Davis for nothing, or we could get some guys. Honestly, like you know, we joked about David Stern bashing Dell Demps. I think the NBA should should block an Anthony Davis trade. Honestly, like I just don't see the point of existing as a franchise if you have a guy who's a top five player who's in his prime and it's like what 25 or whatever he is and you can't figure out a way to make that work then you don't deserve to exist as a franchise i'm sorry it's just the, this is this is your one chance your generational talent and you just can't do anything with them you can't win a playoff series 
I'm sorry. Like you have to somehow figure it out. I would die on that hill. I would I would cling to Anthony Davis until he's walking, he's signing the contract with another team, and I would tackle him and, and just plead my case and start crying. I don't see any way you can get fair value for him. I mean, here's the thing, and that's that's true. You know, gen- generally in, in any sort of sport, if you're trading the best player, it's pretty unlikely that you won the deal. Like, I'm not saying that it can't be good. Like, you know, Indiana trades Paul George and they get back Oladipo and Sabonis. And that's the one time where, like, at the time, Paul George was a better player. But I think it's pretty clear at this moment in time, Indiana definitely won that deal. Now, if Oladipo and Sabonis become the guys that they are now in Oklahoma City, we don't know that. They're not on the team. We have no idea. But yeah, if you're trading Anthony Davis, no matter really what you get back, you're likely losing the deal. I mean, but I don't I don't think you can hold that against New Orleans. And this kind of talks, we, we're talking about the West a little bit and how jumbled up it is. We probably won't get to it today. We'll talk about it next week and see if Memphis is still the two seed. But I just don't know like how you can tell New Orleans you can't do this. Well, no, I mean realistically you can't block the trade, but No, um, no, I know. I know. No, no, I don't even mean that that idea. I I love that as Jeff Van Gundy's like dumb rules where there's like a penalty box and you can block trades. You know, I love Jeff Van Gundy for stuff like that, Dan. So I'm I'm all about it, but what I'm saying is like New Orleans' situation and this is why the NBA is so fun. It's a little bit different than baseball because of the salary cap like and you're not really trading for prospects. Like you're not like I'll take these two G leaders. It doesn't work that way. You're trading for players who have actually played NBA games. And so like you're going to trade Anthony Davis. And like if I'm the Wizards, I swear to God, Dan, I would call and say, "Would you take Beal and Otto Porter for Anthony Davis?" And I think they'd say no. I think they say no. I think they would say no too. Although I love, the, you know, I, that's why I would go the opposite way. Like, I, that's why if I was the Wizards, I would try to float wall. I, I think that is the ten of the move that a like a team that is desperate to lose Anthony Davis would consider. Um, and it might be the right move. If you, it, I wouldn't pay John Wall forty million a year, but if it comes with Anthony Davis at forty million a year, that combination is worth it. You know, it's still, I would max out my cap for those two guys even if it's not ideal and just try to cobble together the rest. Cause I think that too, some is enough to win a playoff series. So, so before we get to our last little segments, when I was a young college student, I, I think I told you this before, but TJ DeLeo played at Temple university and his father, Tony was the GM briefly for the 76ers. And he worked in the Sixers organization forever. So they had drew holiday, as you remember, and I'm going to eat a little bit of crow right now because early in his career, drew looked like a guy that was going to be really, really good. And he is a good player. But I always was like, John Wall's better. John Wall's better. The Sixers had some playoff teams where Drew was a big part of those. And right now, today, TJ, you're right. I would not trade Drew Holiday for John Wall, given the contract situation, given the injury history with both. I would stand pat. So I don't know what the Pelicans can trade for John Wall, but I would stick with Drew rather than John Wall right at this exact moment. And that, and again, that may change in 25 or 30 games. We may see a different John. Like Maybe he's into it, but like... I wouldn't trade Drew Holiday for John Wall right now. Well, I think that that's the trade that they would consider. And, you know, in hindsight, I wonder, um, the most common trade rumor I heard last year with the Pelicans when they had Boogie Cousins was would they trade him for um, Autumn? And, you know, it kind of was like a downgrade in terms of overall talent. But in terms of fit, it kind of made sense. And so Drew Holiday plus Otto Porter plus Anthony Davis, I think, is a solid core. And on the other hand, John Wall plus Bradley Beal plus Boogie Cousins would have been a very intriguing core as well. I, I wonder if both those teams, in, in hindsight, regret that. 
I mean, as much as I love John Wall, like Wall, Davis, Etwan Moore, you know, uh, Alfred Payton, you lose a little shooting, you lose defense, and Drew's a fantastic defender. Uh, but Wall and Davis with like Julius Randle and, Merit- and Miritich like running the wings, like that is, you know, for lack of a better word, for for guys like me who love pace and space, like we're getting excited over here, Zan, about hearing something like that. Like I'd love to see Wall with I think it was on Zach Lowe. I think it was on Zach Lowe saying shout, or I think it was on his podcast, but they were saying if they do that, Wall goes to New Orleans and reunites with Anthony Davis and Julius Randle. Do you think they would try to bring in John Calipari and just be the Kentucky team and just like recruit all the Kentucky guys? Man, if you were asking me right now who I thought the Wizards head coach would be next year and you gave me odds, like Kyle's odds have to be relatively low because like, I just, I don't know. You know, he missed out on James Wiseman. Just, you know, talk about a little basketball recruiting for a second. James Wiseman is is from Nashville, but uh, lives in Memphis, committed to Penny Hardaway. So Cal missed that. And then he is now maybe thinking like, hey, I'll go coach the Wizards. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see about that. Uh, let's go to, uh, let's go to segments. Let's do uh, Disappointed Dad. And it is Thanksgiving. So you know, parents out there, their kids probably act a fool all day on Thanksgiving. But let's uh, let's hear who you got for your uh, disappointed dad segment of the week. Well, you know, this is because my wife is pregnant, due in April. Hopefully, God willing, everything works out. Um, but uh, we're this is gonna be our first kid. But there are a lot of parents out there who have like you know those Irish families, you know, like five or six kids, seven kids, and the old adage is you don't have favorites, right? But you secretly probably do. Don't you think you have ones that you like more? And so you're even you're even more disappointed when like, your favorite kid does something bad. It cuts a little deeper. And with that in mind, I'm really disappointed with a guy that I loved throughout high school and college and in the draft is Jabari Parker. You remember Jabari Parker. He's still around. I, I had forgotten about him, to be honest. Honestly, I think a lot of people had, and I actually had him number one over Wiggins slightly just because I just loved his like his game, and I thought he was going to be such a big scorer. And you know, he kind of fizzled in in Milwaukee, signed a one year deal with Chicago, um, which theoretically you know opened lane to scoring again. I thought he maybe was going to be six man if they brought him off the bench, and maybe that would translate to a big contract. But as you mentioned, it's just kind of a forgotten forgettable year right now he's averaging 14 15 points a game but just not shooting the ball well i don't know what the market's going to be for him once this one-year deal expires whether he has a future this is a one over one right it's a it's a team option in the second year to get 20 million right i don't know if they'll pick it up i mean he, he hasn't proven to be a winning player certainly if milwaukee goes farther without him that's a black mark against him so I don't know. I'm not willing to give up on my my kid. You know, I still want the best for him, and I think I want it more than than logic dictates right now. And so I'm disappointed in Jabari Parker's fate. I hope it turns around, but I'm just not sure it will. I uh, just want to let people know that I had not actually forgotten Jabari Parker existed, but the Bulls are terrible, and he is not having a good year. On the other hand, a guy who is having a very good year, which he was. Probably uh, he was a second round pick, but the Clippers, as we talked about, are a top three seed in the Western Conference, and they have two six man of the year candidates. Everyone knows about Lou Williams, super fun, uh, awesome floater to beat uh, Golden State the other day. But 
Montrez Harrell, 15 and a half on 70 and seven rebounds a game on 67% from the field in 24 minutes. He is currently posting career highs in every offensive statistical category and his analytics hold up as well. Uh, he's got career highs in offensive rating and defensive rating, sixth in the NBA in box plus minus, 10th in win shares, and fourth in player efficiency rating. So Lou Williams is probably going to win sixth man of the year, but don't sleep on Trez. Pretty, pretty, pretty good for the former second-round pick and currently on a two-year, $12 million deal. So good on you, Clippers. Montrez Harrell seems like an absolute steal and a guy that is anchoring their second unit with Lou Williams. Fun to watch. Uh, let's do buzzer beaters before you get out and eat some turkey. So why don't you start? You start. I have a good one for you. You start okay. first. First one for me. Five teams in the NBA currently have four wins or less. Chicago and the Knicks have four. Atlanta and Phoenix have three. And Cleveland is bringing up the rear with two. Who finishes the year with the least amount of wins? And how many wins is that number? Well, it's an interesting year because we mentioned the lottery odds flatten. So the worst team has a 14% chance at number one pick. So um, I think as long as you, these teams don't want to necessarily lose as many games as possible, as much as stay in that sort of top four. Um, so I don't think they're going to totally tank, but I think it's going to be the Cavs winning 15 games, let's say. 15? Um, okay. Um, I found this interesting. This guy on Reddit posted an interesting stat called shout out to brain muncher. I'm hoping his research is accurate. Um, he says that on the year through the first 247 games, the team that has shot higher from three percentage wise has won 76.5% of the games, which is really amazing to me and shows you the, the dominance of the three point shot. So my question to you, Tyler is, is, are you okay with that being so three point shot happy or should the NBA consider moving back the line and evening this out? No, I mean, I think, I, I think the league will tend to regress regardless. I think that you'll see guys starting to shoot a couple more mid range shots, starting to a little to guard a little bit differently to try to spot some other inefficiencies, but I'm totally fine with the way the NBA is played. I think the three point line is, is fine. I, I really do. But interesting, really interesting number and not all that surprising, right, from a correlation standpoint. Well, just the percentage, because according to that, I don't know if that's accurate, sad or not, brain muncher, but um, that would suggest that if you shoot two for five from three, you'd, you'd have a better shot of winning than, you know, 40% than somebody who shot 30 for 100. Or, you know, so I don't know how, how that all works, but it, it was an alarmingly high stat to me. I, I, I'm a little more concerned than you are. Why don't we respond to brain muncher on Reddit and see about how Check that, your work, uh, check your math. I mean, you're taking it into your own hands. Like that's basically like going with with with, a, with Wikipedia. Like he could have just made that up, and he's like, "Ha ha, you're an idiot." Well, brain muncher. I mean, come on. That's true. Well, why don't we ask him what the correlation is between taking more threes as well? Because yeah, I would, I would venture to guess, yeah, I'd venture to guess in a lot of situations the team that probably attempts more threes in in you know in a, in an effort to largen the sample a little bit probably also has a winning record. But I can't prove that. Uh, my last question. Joel Embiid is currently leading the NBA in total minutes played. Are you buying or selling Joel Embiid finishing in the top 10 in the NBA in total minutes this year? God, I hope not. I honestly, he's one of those guys when we talk about the Sixers skepticism, I just didn't think he would be healthy and playing this many minutes and be this good for this many games. So I don't buy that it will last. I hope they rest him a little bit more, especially with Jimmy Butler. So I, I hope he gets out of the top 20. I, I can't imagine that it stays that way, but 
you know, the guy continues to amaze me. So who knows? Um, but my last question for you, we just talked about Brain Muncher on Reddit. Slightly different post on Reddit from a slightly different kind of cat. Straight Cash Homie 69 asked the question we're all wondering. How much pipe do you suppose Zion is laying on Duke Broads? Dude must be slamming dirties left and right. So my question to you is, which NBA player do you think slams the most dirties left and right? That is a great question. Um, (laughs) And and their per week average of dirties. I don't know. Like I said, I had been told that Kelly Oubre was having lots of success in the DMV. So I'm going to go with Kelly Oubre just because that's what I know. I would guess it's a young guy. Devin Booker is probably very high on that list. I know for a fact Paul George, although he let himself get catfished, was high on the list for a while. I think he's probably settled down. So I have no idea in terms of numbers. I am shocked you even got me to take the bait. But I am... (laughs) I'll give you. I, I will give you Kelly Oubre, Devin Booker, and then I will throw out Paul. Leading in dirty for week. Well, we should track that stat. NBA.com really should. But since they're not, we'll do that. <laughs> All right. So, Zan, we're going to do something different. And that mean, and you get the outro every week. I'll take the intro. You get the outro. And that's how, just like the Celtics, we're figuring out this lineup thing. So, you, you play us out. I uh, wanted to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving as you're listening to some great games, great football games. Hopefully, you're not like me and you're not just going to bet a lot of money. But, Zan, you take it away, buddy. Yeah, just subscribe to our thing. Even if you don't listen, it's something good in the car when you're done with all the other NBA podcasts. Um, you can ask questions at Ellison at Gmail or just post weird shit on Reddit and I'll probably find it. Um, hit up Tyler. He's got another great podcast. And just enjoy your Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.